we're going to have some gratuitous sex and violence. You guys always bring me the very best violence. No relationship. No emotion. Just sex. And welcome to another exciting episode of Gratuitous Sex and Violence, the show where we ask ourselves, are you watching movies? Are you watching movies? And if you're watching movies, do they have lots of sex and violence in them? Answer me, answer me! Uh, 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 that's that's all I got. That's all I got in that moment. I'm sorry if I freaked you out, man. It, it, yeah, no, that it's, was it's trying. It's just that I'm feeling a little paranoid because we're going to watch the thing tonight. Oh, the thing. Yeah. Who's who's the thing? Well, the thing is a 1982 American science fiction horror film. Okay. Directed by John Carpenter. Oh, so it's John Carpenter's The Thing. John Carpenter's mm. The Thing. Okay. Uh, this film stars Kurt Russell, and it features an ensemble cast, uh, including Wilford Brimley. T.K. Carter, okay. David Clennon, Keith David, Richard Dissart, Charles Hallahan, Peter Maloney, Richard Masur, Donald Moffat, Joel Polis, and Thomas G. Waits. Wow, that's that. Yeah, that's that's a stacked cast. There are no women in this film. Oh, just just to letting you know right now. Okay, rip the bandaid off. <laughs> yeah. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. It's guys um, only. All right. So uh, just making a note here for sausage uh, fest for ses- <laughs> for uh, section three. <laughs> um, this film is based on the 1938 novella by John W. Campbell Jr. called "Who Goes There." Okay. And it tells the story of a group of, of American researchers in Antarctica who encounter a parasitic extraterrestrial life form that assimilates, then imitates other organisms. The group is overcome by paranoia and conflict as they learn that they can no longer trust each other and that any one of them could be the thing. Mm. Have you ever seen this movie, Ned? I have not. As okay. is as is usually the case. This one, <laughs> it feels like it feels like there's a a lot of respect for this one. Though. There is a lot of respect for yeah. this one. You're right. Um, and we we just saw they live. John Carpenter's They Live. We did. Yeah. And we enjoyed the experience so much that we decided to do another Carpenter episode. Yeah. And we talked Absolutely. about how John Carpenter is one of my favorite directors. Uh, and this is one of his best movies, I would say. Yeah, no, kids got potential. Definitely going places. Um, the craziest thing about this, as is the case with most John Carpenter films, when this movie came out, it was pretty critically reviled. Okay. Uh, and then over the years, it uh, became a cult classic, and now it's considered a, a, a one of the best horror movies of the 80s, certainly of, of John Carpenter's career. Um, I just want to read to you a little bit of what critics said about the movie. Oh, yeah? Just to sort of, like, set the template yeah. for us to watch it, okay? Okay. Alright, so, um, among the things that were said about this movie in contemporary criticisms where uh, it was described as instant junk, a wretched excess, it was called by some the most hated film of all time. <laughs> really? Really? Um, that, that negative. Right. Wow. Re- reviews have both praised the special effects wa- 
in terms of their achievements while at the same time criticizing them in terms of their visual repulsiveness. Uh, others have stated that the characters are, are poorly developed. Um, a lot of the reason for this was that the movie was released uh, very close in time with E.T. the Extraterrestrial, which offered a more optimistic take on alien visitation. And so uh, mm. they, they, they reacted negatively and very violently i would say <laughs> negatively uh, to the thing's nihilistic tone <laughs> so, so 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 the so the negative the negative uh reception you you would say definitely was like a, a reaction to like et like that was one of the things yeah. i'm not gonna say it's everything i just think yeah. john carpenter movies are very misunderstood when they first come out i don't know why yeah no well it's it's i mean it's interesting just to hear how strong those those right. those bits of uh those bits of criticism are so that's um so it's very interesting that's a very I, I think that's a good context as we enter the movie because then we can talk about that on the other side okay? yeah for sure absolutely so i'm intrigued now i'm 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 ready <laughs> i'm ready for this junk to be incredibly instant right <laughs> so, we're going to break here in a second to watch the movie. Those of you at home who want to watch this movie with us, it is available to stream on Stars, uh, also through Amazon and Hulu if you have the Stars add-on. So, if you guys want, you can watch the movie. If you don't have Stars, you can always rent it on demand. It's a whole bunch of places, and I mean, it's worth it. It's a great fucking movie. Um, so, we're going to break now, watch the movie, come back, play some trivia, and discuss. Are you ready to watch the thing? Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. All right, guys, here we go. We'll see you on the other side. Let's do it. I hope we're going to have some gratuitous sex and violence. You guys always bring me the very best violence. No relationship. No emotion. Just sex. saw the thing john carpenter's the thing yeah Ooh. um very chilling very chill very cold movie so as we talked about before we watched the movie this film got overwhelmingly negative reviews and response when it first came out today it's a, considered a horror classic and it's consistently ranked among the greatest horror sci-fi films of all time. Ned, you just saw this for the first time. What is your first reaction? Oh, it was garbage. Oh, well. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, instant junk. I think was still my favorite among those. Uh, right. Like, like not not enough that it was junk, but just right. like immediately instant junk. Um, I I will say it. Like, I think maybe the first. I don't know, like the first five minutes, just like of that encounter of like the you know the Norwe the Norwegians like arriving on the camp. I wasn't I wasn't so sure mm -hmm. that that part was a, a little bit of a, a rough foot to start on, I guess. But after that, like basically, I was just I was really on the edge of my seat for mm -hmm. pretty much like the whole movie. Um, yeah. like it's very suspenseful. Tense. Yeah, yeah, really, really tense movie. And the thing is, like I. I, you know, just from pop cultural osmosis, like, 
I I sort of knew what to expect going into right. the movie. Like it's a horror movie, but it's about you know that the thing can be anybody yeah. and all that stuff. So like so like I got that. So I knew about that premise going in. Um, I think I. But I was really impressed with how the film actually really does a good job of, like, leveraging that tension mm -hmm. of, of like, we all can't actually trust each other, but at the same time, we all have to work together to survive because right. of just, like, what a, you know, hostile environment they are in. Mm -hmm. um, and so that, I think, really is just a great, a great, way to keep tension throughout the movie as it develops um i uh i i was i definitely really liked the um <laughs> i i i have to say like the, the the thing itself i hadn't seen that much of like how the creature, the creature itself right? actually mm -hmm. looks when it's creaturey and yeah. not a person and um you know i think like when you know the there's that rule of horror that like the the less you show the monster the right. better um so uh you know the effects themselves are are really creatively conceived um if dated um but really creative looking and also like i i think it works in the sense of like just that the creature itself when it strikes it's very chaotic and yeah. very loud That's and true. um mm -hmm. And I think that actually works that like, yeah, you see it and it's it's weird and gross and icky and all that stuff. But also just like it's it, yeah, that it, it is this very sort of like loud force of nature mm -hmm. and and sort of how it like lashes out with all the tentacles and stuff like that. And, and really is not is not neat at all about mm -hmm. how it devours its victims. Right. Um, so uh, so that that I think actually helped helped the impact of it a little bit because then the rest of the film is that tension about like wondering when it's going to strike again right. so kind of kind of like an example of like a classic jump scare mm -hmm. in the sense of like how abrupt it's it's attacks are um, and also i think like uh you know in a movie like this what's great about it like you said like the you know the less is more is is a very common rule in horror i think that uh, a lot of great horror films follow that rule and i would say that this movie actually follows that rule too because even yeah. though we do get uh, some pretty good chunk of thing action. Yeah. The true horror of the film isn't the actual thing itself. Yeah. It's not knowing who could it be. Exactly, yeah. That's a thing. It's like all of the interactions as the team is working together are really, are really, really tense. And and, and especially because I think like it, it's it's cool that they're all you know professionals like kind of doing their work and so for a lot of the film they're not necessarily in like survival mode yet mm -hmm. there's because there's still a lot of like oh we've got to square this thing away and we've got to incinerate these remains right. and 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 so they're they're kind of still in work mode even as mm -hmm. they're getting a better grasp of what's going on and so i actually kind of found that really cool yeah. like sort of seeing how their dynamic then decays more and more as more and more people you know get killed and and they sort of and, and so so it really is like kind of a, a a seamless development into a like outright survival situation right. i feel like humans yeah. humans function extremely well when we when we're giving a purpose a yeah. job 
And these are obviously like professionals who have very specific jobs. Yeah, and and, and like that they're scientists. Right. So like there's there is a lot of just like oh we're just taking a rational scientific yeah. approach to like studying these remains and, then and figuring out what happened at the point of the film. Whenever each of them like you know they cross over to not being able to complete their jobs because now they're worried about something completely different. Now yeah. that's when their mental breakdown really starts to take hold. Yeah. Um, since we're talking about uh, the the men in the, this movie, so I thought it was it would be helpful to break down their names and their occupations, like right off the bat, so that it'll help us later on in the discussion. Okay, cool. Yeah, actually, that'll be perfect. So each man's job at uh, U.S. Outpost Thirty One is as follows: We have Gary. He's the station manager. All right. Um, he was the one who had the revolver in the beginning. Right. right? Okay. Mm-hmm. Cool. Gary. Uh, McReady. Uh, he's the helicopter pilot. Cool. Uh, Russell. Blair. He's a biologist. Okay. Fuchs is an assistant biologist. Okay. Uh, Bennings is a meteorologist. Bennings was which person again? He's a guy who uh, the they they burned him outside. He he was running outside. Um, oh oh okay. And they him uh, and he had the weird hands. Okay yeah yeah okay cool perfect. So he was a meteorologist. Okay. Um, Norris is a geologist. He's the guy who had the heart attack. Okay. Um, Copper is a physician. He's the doctor. Okay. Clark was the dog handler. Okay. Childs is a chief mechanic. Okay. Palmer is the assistant mechanic and also helicopter pilot in training. Which one was Palmer again? The guy with the curly hair. Okay. Was he the one in the radio room a lot too? No. uh, Actually, that guy had curly hair too. Palmer and Childs have that scene where they're watching TV together. Oh, okay, cool. Yes, mm-hmm. yeah, okay, now I remember. Uh, the other guy with curly hair... Oh, yeah, hair, he was like, uh, Palmer's like a stoner, right? Right. Yeah, okay, cool, great. The other guy with cur- with curly hair also wore glasses. His name is Windows. Okay. He's the radio operator. Okay. And then finally we got Nalls, who is the cook. Okay, cool. He's the guy who was on the roller skates a lot. Yeah, yeah. All right, so this was the second of three film adaptations of the novella Who Goes There. Yeah. The first one is called The Thing from Another World. It's a 1951 science fiction horror movie directed by Howard Hawks, which is really interesting to me. I don't think, I think it's completely coincidental. I think. Yeah. Because uh, the the story of how Carpenter came to direct this movie specifically, it wasn't like he sought this material out. It sort of like was foisted on him, you know? Um, But it's really interesting to me that, again, as we discussed with They Live, uh, Carpenter keeps going back to these Western tropes. Yeah. And Howard Hawks was a big Western director. Now, the thing is not a Western movie. But we do see a lot in, in Carpenter's work that he puts a lot of Hoxian things in his yeah. movies. Well, it was, I, I definitely didn't fail to notice um, uh, McCready's hat. Uh, a total cowboy big, hat. A big frontier hat. Right, right. Um, yeah. Um, so the, I, th- I just think that's an interesting connection. Yeah. Um, the other one was a remake that was made in 2011, also called The Thing. And uh, that, the thing, had overwhelmingly negative reviews. Who knows? Maybe in 20 years it'll be reviewed. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> um, yeah. I'm, I, I'm, I'm still kind of trying to wrap my head around why this would have been so, so badly received. Like, it's... Because, it, I mean, it, it definitely does maintain suspense, and it delivers on the suspense right. throughout. Um, so Yeah, I think yeah. It's, a, it's a pretty successful movie, but we'll talk more about that here in a second. Before we go further into our discussion, let's play some The Thing Trivia! Oh, that's right, I forgot! I'm gonna have to, <laughs> I'm gonna have to remember things! I'm gonna have to remember the thing! Oh, boy. 
Oh, well, well I mean... We'll yeah, see, we'll see. You said that you were glued to the edge of your seat, so hopefully, you know, a lot of the details are imprinted in your mind. Uh, hopefully, hopefully. My survival instincts will help me triumph. We're going to start you off super easy. As always, these are five questions plus a bonus. They go in order from least difficult to most difficult. Mm-hmm. The grand prize is bragging rights. The first question you've already answered because we already talked about it, so here we go. Well, there we go. Great. The men chasing the dog at the beginning of the movie are from which country? They are from Norway. They are from Norway. Who McCready keeps calling them Swedes the Swedes. for some reason. <laughs> um, I think that that's like, a, you were mentioning how you weren't sure about the beginning of the movie, or at least the interaction of the Norwegians. Well, yeah, may, mainly more just like uh, the way the guy's like running up with a gun mm-hmm. and they all don't seem to really take defensive positions or do anything to deal with it. And then right. the guy just starts shooting and somebody gets hit and they're like, oh no, this is unfortunate. Also, I'm not sh- I not—I don't know that I necessarily bought the idea of the station chief um, breaking his own window to get a shot with his revolver. That I was feel very like, Western. Yeah, that was very, yeah, that was a very Western move. Um, I certainly don't think he would have done that considering they're literally in fucking Antarctica right. and it's the start of yeah. winter. So right. I feel like even he would have probably been like, oh, I got to hustle and find a door outside mm-hmm. to get a shot. So that, that moment, that, that was like, but that was like the only real like suspension of disbelief, mm-hmm. like just that weird encounter in the beginning. I so. do like the, the way the, the film begins. I like uh, the because it's it's a mystery, you know. The, the, their yeah, mother yeah, like that chasing, chasing the, dog, the dog and trying to shoot it. it down. Yeah, yeah, and that the, aspect of it I liked. And um, the fact that they're speaking another language too, I think, like heightens the, the tension because you don't know what's going on. Yeah, and then, like we mentioned, this is a group of like mainly scientists. They don't yeah. know what's going on either. You know? Yeah, yeah, so definitely. They were taken up uh, definitely off guard by everything. Yeah, absolutely. All right, here comes question number two. Yep. Uh, a little bit harder, but it's still, I think this is pretty easy stuff. When the thing attacks the dogs in the kennel, what does McCready ask Childs to bring? He asks Childs to bring the flamethrower. Flamethrower! Yes, indeed. Flamethrowers are, are the weapon of choice here. A lot of flamethrowers in this movie. Yeah, well, and, and so I would have, I mean, I think it makes sense for... It makes sense for a station to have some weapons because obviously right. there's, there's still wildlife out there and mm-hmm. you might have to occasionally put down a stray bear or something like that right. if it attacks. Although I don't think there are bears in Antarctica. Or fair enough, fair enough. Right. Yeah, but uh, I know. <laughs> a stray Swede. A st- <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Dehumanizing the Swedes. That's problematic. Um, but um, uh, so... Uh, I I know that flamethrowers are a weapon, but yeah, mostly like, military. I would well, say. yeah, yeah, like because I mean I, they obviously use them in like World War Two. I right? guess the application is but, that you could use them to thaw things out. Well, that's what I was wondering. Is like would it would it actually make sense for like like would science like I I was curious about that and I should have I should have done some googling before we started. I was I wasn't sure whether it would actually be realistic mm-hmm. for for a team doing research in the in the Antarctica to actually have a flamethrower on them f- specifically for thawing purposes. I if if anyone who is listening to this podcast happens to work in Antarctica yeah. at a research or station, knows somebody like yeah. 
Shout out to us at GSV Pod on Twitter. Let us know. But yes. my impression is that if you go to a research station in Antarctica, you're not going to find a flamethrower. I yeah, that's a thing. I I, that's I'm not a, sure. A fictional touch added to the movie. Yeah, because it's fucking. And they had a lot. They had a lot of fucking flamethrowers. Well, two. Like, at least two. Yeah, but they maybe just kept even wearing more. them. But like, uh, they were like the proton packs in Ghostbusters. Everyone yeah. just like. Put it on, just shooting people. Yeah, just by default. Um, um, so, I think, so yeah, I, 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 I wasn't, yeah, I wasn't so sure about that. And and they had a lot of guns, like no, like a whole rack of shotguns. The way like, that the filmmakers justify that is, I mean, this movie takes place during the Cold War, <laughs> and Antarctica, uh, two of the main national presences in Antarctica are Americans and Russians, or at the time they would be the Soviet Union. Yeah. So the reason the filmmakers had for justifying the fact that they had guns is because you know it was a very tense time between america and the soviet union so they just want just in case like shit went down that's fair they wanted to have like weapons there yeah i mean yeah that, that's definitely fair yeah so yeah. Uh, I, buy that. I don't know I, buy that. I don't know if that justifies the flamethrowers but at least the guns are justified yeah all right so let's go to question number three cool now, there's a part of the movie where they go and explore the alien wreckage. Yes. How long has the wreckage of the alien ship been buried under ice? Um, they... It was like... I think the, the one guy said it was like 100,000 years. 100,000 years at least. At least. Yeah. Yeah. But so. yeah, 100,000 years. Which is crazy because like we we start the movie with the flying saucer <laughs> coming. Yeah, passing by the planet. So uh, clearly, clearly, this movie has a uh, a time span. Yeah, it just of, jumps. <laughs> yeah. Well, there was that thing too about how um, 2001: A Space Odyssey, mm -hmm. I guess, apparently has like the longest yeah span right. of time in a film in a cut. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in so. a jump cut. Oh, in a jump cut. Okay, specific. so that's the the one. Okay, so yeah, it goes this from prehistoric one... times with the bones to two thousand one with the spaceships. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so this one doesn't quite, this one doesn't quite hit that record if it's like yeah. at least a hundred thousand years. But or, yeah, yeah, right. But it's not like a, but it's not a jump cut anyway. Yeah. Because we go into the titles immediately after, and then we go into the movie proper. Yeah. It doesn't just jump. So I don't know. Fair enough. Fair. Enough. But yeah, it does. It does jump quite a bit yeah. i like that little opening too it's uh it's uh it's very schlocky <laughs> yeah it was a really schlocky opening that's the other thing too because again like i knew that this was a horror you know a horror classic and and how tense it was and how it was a very paranoid movie so i was not expecting to actually see a literal flying saucer right right at the beginning right like beginning. right off the bat i was like okay okay that that's already a left turn the titles are really interesting too. The way they achieved that is they had like an aquarium glass, and um, they basically like glued like plastic bags to it in the shape of, of the font that they were going to use, and then they lit it on fire, and that's how you get like that burning onto the screen effect. Oh, nice! Of the titles, I like it. Yeah, pretty cool. All right, so you're doing great. You got three, three, for three. out of three. Yeah. Um, this, uh, you know, I think that this is like the, the kind of movie where like a lot of the of the details, because. I, I, most of the details are regarding like who is or who isn't the thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I was trying to keep it like, well, okay, what else can we can we discuss? So here comes question number four. Yes. Um, according to Blair's computer, if the thing reaches civilization, how many hours would it take to assimilate the entire world? Twenty-six thousand. Oh. <gasps> 
You're wrong. Really? Yeah, Wait. It's 27,000. Oh, shit. <laughs> I'm off You're by so a thousand hours. You were so confident, oh, too. Oh, God. So close oh. and yet so far. Fuck. Okay. Well, but you were right in the ballpark. I, mean, I was right in the ballpark. Uh, you were just a thousand short. Twenty-seven thousand hours, which but but like you know, in terms of you know response preparation, let's plan for twenty-six thousand and have that extra thousand hours, right? I think my my course of action would be the much more prudent course of action. Let's. I agree. I agree. You gotta yeah. you know brace for the worst we might, possible. We might, yeah, scenario. we might need that. We might need that thousand hours. Uh, twenty-seven thousand hours, of course, translates to one thousand one hundred twenty-five days, which is a little over three years. Okay, so that's like, yeah, that's 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 some time. That's, yeah, yeah. Um, I I was uh, uh, another bit of suspension display. It's weird actually because I think there were many there were many su- points of like difficult suspension of disbelief. But then like as they get more into the thick of their situation, I was like that the suspension the suspension right. went away, and I was able to really focus on mm-hmm. like the tension. Um, but that that. Whatever that computer system right. was was awfully, awfully advanced mm-hmm. for for what I like. I I wouldn't assume that they would have a system that's able to do that kind of analytics right. uh, interpretation of a unknown, you know, never before seen cellular structure and its hypothetical ability to you know infect the entire planet like it wouldn't have had like i don't know how they would have had that data to extrapolate right. to begin with so and that was that was a little unrealistic i i was like i was thinking about that scene about like well, maybe it would have been a little more graceful for them to have an additional scientist character or to have a conversation maybe between him and the other assistant biologist right. where they where he basically is crunching those numbers for himself or something like that like i feel like that would have been a little more believable than now, for them to literally have a fucking Hal predecessor in, in in the station. You're not the only person actually who thinks that way. Actually, the filmmakers, John Carpenter, actually uh, he kind of regrets putting that scene in there because yeah. he, he he acknowledges that they. He doesn't think that a biologist in a research station, first of all, would be messing with computers like that and like doing like analytics like that. You know, that's not yeah. a biologist's job. Yeah. You know, he would be like a computer analyst to do shit like that or a statistician or something. Yeah. Um, but uh, I guess it was like a, a, a necessary to the exposition in some way. So well, that's, that's a why thing. they did it. Yeah. I mean, it, it was clear that it was clear that they they needed to communicate that specific information right. in order to in order to establish the stakes. Like, I, I definitely agree that like they they have to they have to make it clear once we kind of have a rough idea of what the thing is mm-hmm. and what it's about. Like they like we we need a way for we need a quick and easy way for the scientists to have a understanding of the gravity of the situation. Right. So I I get I get why it's there and why it does why it conveys that information like that. Yeah, if, if it was my movie, I probably would have tried to have it be a conversation slash a, you know, writing out the math on a board or something right. like that. Like, that's how I would have been more believable, you think? Yeah, yeah. So that's a fair point. Again, like, I, yeah. the filmmakers acknowledge that. Yeah, yeah. Um, all right, so you're doing um, fantastic, even though you slightly missed that one. Yeah. You, were, you were pretty close. It's but tough, yeah, you man. You lost it on a technicality, uh, but the spirit was there. 
Thank um, you. Here comes question number five. This is the hardest one, I think. You have to really think this through. Okay. Okay, okay So cool. get ready to think it through. Okay. Uh, what is the order and outcome of the blood tests? Oh, of like who? who mm -hmm. Oh, shit. Yeah. Oh, God damn it. With the uh, hot wire. Yeah. So you have to give me in which order are the tests performed and what's the outcome for each okay. test? Um, the first person, all right, I remember the first person who gets tested is somebody who's tied up. Oh, shit. Oh, God, this one's hard. Okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna help you out a little bit, okay? Because I know that there are a lot of names here, so I'm gonna tell you that there are eight people total. Yeah, there are eight people total. And the the people that we have going are in random order. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's cool. Yeah. We got Childs, we got McCready, we got Clark, Palmer, Windows, Copper, Nalls, and Gary. Because I'm including the two dead folks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um. So. Fuck me. Okay. You can um, write it out if you want. Actually, wait. Yeah, I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, let, we're gonna commit to this. We're gonna commit to this yeah. question because it's actually a great question. I can always. All right. Uh, give, give me, give me the names uh, that that you gave me. Uh, Childs. All right. McCready. All right. Palmer. Clark. Windows. Nalls. Copper. Gary. All right. Um, now, Palmer was which job again? He's the assistant mechanic slash helicopter pilot in training. Okay. The one who's a stoner. All right, stoner. Um, and Nalls was the cook, right? The cook. All right, cool. Um, and Copper was... The doctor. All right. He's already dead at this point. Yeah. Dead and um, Clark was the dog person dog who's also dead. Right. Okay. Cool. Great. Um, Childs was uh, played by Keith David, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, I I I just I just need to have these <laughs> reference points yeah, so no that problem. I can visualize yeah. it. But I love this question. I love this question. Uh, I know who McCready is. Windows was um, wait. Uh, Windows was guy with the glasses. Worked in the radio room. When all right, radio room. Okay. Um, and then Gary was station manager. Okay, yeah. Okay. Um, all right. So we got Nalls. Nalls was first because Nalls was tied down. And okay, yeah, because Nalls was all right. Nalls was tied down. Clark took his. Clark took his thing. Um, all right. I think I've got it. I think I've got it. Do you do you want do you want me to do my full do I'll I'll, I'll just read the full breakdown. Sure. All yeah. right, cool. Yeah, do it and um, uh, and and I'm just going to do the order and I will simply indicate and I will simply indicate where appropriate where the test was positive for the thing. Right. All right. So, first test was Nalls. Second test was Windows. Third test was Copper. Fourth test was Clark. Those were the two dead guys. The fifth test was Palmer, who was positive, and so they had to kill him. Six was McCready. Oh, wait. Yeah. Yeah, six was McCready. Oh, yeah, and also I think Palmer, 
when Palmer tests positive, he freaks out and he kills Windows during that as well. But anyways, six is McCready, but he's negative. And then seventh is Childs. And then eight is the station manager, Gary. All right. So give me the order one more time. All right. So the order was Nalls, Windows, Copper, Clark, Palmer, who was positive, McCready, Childs, and Gary. Uh, but the only person who tested positive was Palmer. All right. Feeling confident about that? <laughs> yes. Yes. All right. I'm going to give you the answer one at a time. Okay. Okay. First person to get tested is Windows. Fuck. Okay. Okay. I'm, I'm, I'm just right. I, there's no reason for me to record it, but I'm just, just going to do it anyway for, for when we calculate the partial right. credit. Right. When we start out, Windows and McCready are the only two that are untied. And yeah, yeah, that's and right. so he he rules that, out Windows right off the bat. Then he tests himself. So it's McCready second. Oh shit, you're right. You're so right. <laughs> yes. Okay. Then he does the dead guys. He goes Copper and Clark. Okay. Right so so other. Copper and Clark were three and four. Mm-hmm. So those are correct. Okay. Good. Uh, next, he does Palmer. Who turns out to be so that's fifth yeah. and positive. Who so turns that's out to so be that's the correct. Thing. So that's correct. Yeah, you got that one right. Okay. Then he does Nalls, at which point he unties Nalls. Wait, so Nalls is six. Mm-hmm. Okay, good. At which point he unties Nalls because Palmer eats windows. Yes. So he needs another person to man the flamethrower. So yes. Nalls now has the other flamethrower. Yes. Then he does Childs, who is also negative, and, who and that the was the flamethrower. And, and finally, seven. we got Gary. All right. So what that means is that out of eight, so so out of an order of eight, mm-hmm. I got, I got five of them right. Oh well, yeah, yeah. pretty good. So yeah, yeah, <laughs> not full credit, right. but. But better than half, I right. would say. Yeah. So that's 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 pretty good. The, that's pretty good. The blood test scene is probably the best known scene in the movie. It's also my favorite scene. It's in the movie. really fucking good. <laughs> it's that, so good. That scene was so good. It's so um, good. It was it was so yeah, it was so perfect. Yeah, yeah. I think yeah, that scene was just so perfectly executed. And especially just because of like that it that they do an amazing job of like that that it's very tense at the beginning mm-hmm. and you're building towards tension because like you know someone's going to test positive at some point right. and then someone does test positive and you have like the the attack and shit going down yeah. and then it still keeps the tension ratcheted so fucking yeah. tight even after the monster is dead and it's like okay now we gotta get through the rest of these right so, yeah that scene was fucking brilliant and um, I, I love the the men's reactions to it too like by the end of it when they're just like so cause there's like so they're over it they're yeah. so emotionally exhausted by everything yeah. you know yeah and it's like now that you know that I'm not an alien I love Gary's line when he's like if you wouldn't mind I would, I would love to not spend the rest of the winter tied to this fucking couch yeah <laughs> I love that. I love that. Especially because, like, Gary was really... Gary was, for the most part, like, just not aggressive at all throughout yeah. the movie. He was up a weak leader. that moment. He was a weak um, leader. Yeah, yeah. And and everyone had it out for him, too. Yeah. Because everyone thought that he broke in and got the blood taken. Yeah. Or, or, um... Yeah. Broke all the blood uh, bags. Yeah, yeah. I also love, like, Child's reaction when it's only Gary left because he's, like, looking at him like, this, this motherfucker is the thing! Get me yeah. out of here! Yeah. <laughs> yes. 
Um, yeah. So yeah, so good job. You got you got most of those right. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I love that scene. Yeah, really um, good scene. So here comes the bonus question. Okay. So cool. you got you got three out of five. Yeah. So here comes the bonus question. Let's see if you get this. Now the bonus question, as usual, strays away from the world of the film. Yeah. Um, we're gonna talk about a, a line that Palmer has, um, where he mentions that aliens practically own South America, and in fact interacted directly with the in- with the Incas. He says that. Yeah. So my question is, which 2008 film's plot centers around alien artifacts? From Peru. Which 2008 film? Mm-hmm. Unrelated to John Carpenter and the thing. Yeah. But it was about alien artifacts from Peru. Oh my god. Um. Oh my god. I have. Oh. Movies came out in 2008. <laughs> um, is 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 there one hint about the film that you can give me? Either a person who was in the film, or a person who was a writer or a director. I can give you a hint with, without hint. without without like totally giving away the the, the the game. The hint is that it is part of an ongoing film series. Mm. It wasn't just a single chapter. <laughs> Wait, <laughs> was this Transformers? No. Okay. No. Okay. Um. Oh, was that your answer? Did you blow it on Transformers? No. <laughs> well, I, I wasn't sure if Transformers was the franchise, and then I would have, you know, I don't know, Dark Side of the Moon or whatever the fuck. No. No. Um, the movie was. Okay. Go ahead. Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Oh my God! <laughs> of you at home who may be wondering <laughs> why that freaked me the fuck out um a, cu- a few days ago uh orlando watched the entirety of or not the entirety the but first well, watched three. the first three indiana jones mm-hmm. films and i gave him shit because <laughs> Uh, in my personal opinion, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull is better than the Temple of Doom. Which is total bullshit. Which, uh, <laughs> which you know, uh, look, I'm not saying there are wrong opinions. I'm just saying that you're wrong. Mm-hmm. Like, just mm-hmm. flat out wrong. Um, Temple of Doom is the second best Indiana Jones movie, uh, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. But Kingdom of the Crystal Skull is the worst. Uh, uh, no, because Temple... I mean, you, how can Kingdom of the Crystal Skull be the worst film when Temple of Doom exists? Like, that's just... Mm-hmm. You know, you're, you're, you're not making any sense to me. No. You are not making any sense Temple to me. Temple of Doom is better than people give it uh, credit for. Mm, Way better. Yeah, mm, nah. Anyways, so yeah, Anyways, that was the movie. Um, amazing question. <laughs> I love that fucking question. Brilliantly done. Of Thank course, you. like, the film uh, Indiana Jones is... <laughs> kind of based like its tone on the 1950s sci-fi films which the thing from outer space was a 1950s sci-fi film those are that's the kind of tone that that movie was going for yeah definitely and that in turn was where this movie comes from it was based on yeah. of course this doesn't have that tone at all <laughs> yeah no no not at all no i mean that's the thing like other than like the saucer at the beginning um yeah there's really like 
it's actually very not schlocky. Sir, yeah. yeah, it stands in very stark contrast to. Um, I mean, it is schlocky. To most of but they it's live. not like 1950s schlocky. Well, yeah, no, exactly. No, but I mean, it, no, it, it was it was a. I mean, weird, weird technology and the presence of flamethrowers in the Antarctic right. aside. Right. Um, it's it, it actually really. It, it 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 actually does have a pretty grounded feel for the most part. I mean, yeah, the monster does. does look pretty ridiculous, but like it's really, but like you know, the the movie I think really is just very well rooted in the paranoia that yeah. it fosters yeah. in in the viewer and in the characters. And um, yeah, so this one definitely is a pretty comparatively grounded movie, certainly in comparison with They Live. Um, no, yeah. right compared to They Live, yeah. So the thing was released. Actually, is an interesting fact. Uh, it was released on the same day that Ridley Scott's Blade Runner was released. Um, Both films received unfavorable reactions initially, but are now considered beloved sci-fi classics. Uh, Mm. This film had a significant impact on popular culture. You can feel it in like a myriad of of different things. Uh, It's considered a cult classic. It's been referred to a variety of media. Here's just a brief list of things that take their cues uh, from the thing, there's an episode of the X Files that pays homage to the thing. I was thinking about mm-hmm. that episode as we were it's a watching. Great it. episode I, of, yeah. of X Files. Yeah, it was like season one. I think. yeah, but, season uh, one. Yeah, where they're in in, in a uh, Arctic or Antarctic. I think it's Arctic session. in that in yeah. this case, but uh, yeah, it's a great episode. Yeah, uh, Futurama, uh, Stranger Things makes reference to it. The video games Resident Evil Four, Tomb Raider Three. Uh, films The Faculty, Slither, The Mist. Um, there are also several filmmakers who have spoken about their appreciation of the thing and citing its influence in their own work, including we got Guillermo del Toro, J.J. Abrams, Neil Blomkamp, uh, David Robert Mitchell, and of course, Quentin Tarantino, whose film The Hateful Eight, he has blatantly come out and said that that's like his western tribute to the thing and there's a lot of like themes in the hateful eight that are you know you can see from the thing and it includes a performance from kurt russell as yeah, well i was gonna say <laughs> you know not to not to put too fine a point on it uh as we've uh, kind of touched upon this movie uh, discusses the themes paranoia and mistrust now the film came out at the height of the Cold War. Yeah. And it greatly influenced, I think, like this this movie. Yeah, yeah. I think um yeah, that that makes a lot of sense. I didn't necessarily think that much about the Cold War, because the movie doesn't really delve into politics. Right, it in doesn't any way. No. Um it's but, more of like on a metaphorical level. Yeah, definitely. Um yeah, that makes a ton of sense though, uh, to that that this would be a film of that era. Are um, you a communist? Are you a communist? Yeah. <laughs> Are you now or have you ever been? a member of the communist party Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um uh yeah actually now now thinking of uh other uh reference points um there's an episode of angel that the title of the episode is are you now or have you ever been in which uh angel uh has a uh a a flashback to a time when he was in a hotel and there was a a uh a demon in the hotel mm. that that spurred that feeds off of people's like anguish and paranoia, Ooh, right. and um, and so a lot of uh, different murders happen in the hotel, and uh, and and uh, and and people end up like, you know, 
not trusting each other mm-hmm. and and uh and and uh I think at the end of the episode they end up hanging one of the people in the hotel and the demon is like, This is great. Mm-hmm. I am gonna feed off this paranoia for eons. Um so yeah. It's a good episode. Yeah, really good episode. Um, um yeah, and you you're saying when when you're watching this movie, one of the great things about it is that you do feel kind of paranoid along with them. You you really feel that tension. Yeah, definitely. Well, um, one of the actually one of the things that I really liked about the movie, um, a thing that I, uh, a visual motif, um, that I noticed uh, a lot was uh this kind of sort of slow fade to black that yeah. happens periodically throughout the film, um, which I think does such a good job of kind of like reminding the audience of the idea of like unaccounted time. Right. The fact that like nobody nobody there is ever able to keep an eye on everybody else right. for the entirety of they're there. And and just just that just that little, you know, visual trick that kind of lets you know some time has passed and you you can't really actually be sure of what happened yeah. in the in the intervening hours. Right. Um someone you just saw in the scene previous could be the thing now. Exactly, yeah. Right. And and so it it uh, and it does a very good job. And the thing is like, you know, that you're there's never a point in the film because of the fact that it does it, like there's never a point where it pulls a cheap one. There's never a moment where I was like, no, there's no way that person could have gotten right. infected. It really does a good job of like of parsing out what it shows you and when it shows it mm-hmm. to you, so that really the people who are infected, like you know, it just it it happened. Yeah, it happened off screen and it mm-hmm. happened credibly off screen. Right. So it, it really does do a good job of like playing fair with the audience mm-hmm. and and. Uh, because there's a, quite a few characters that you don't see them. I, I actually do. You, there's only like one really that you see being actively infected on yeah. screen, right? I think, yeah. And it's like Norris when he's when he's being infected by the body of the of the Norwegian. Yeah, yeah. I think yeah. I think that's right. Other than um, that, everything happens. Oh, and the, and the dogs, of course. But the yeah, dogs, yeah. The dog attack, and then and then Norris, and and then after that, um, yeah, yeah. Everything. And 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 yeah, and and even I'm now kind of. I'm actually finding myself very troubled by that of just like, oh my God, now I think about it, like how, how did so many people get infected? Right. Like, and, and you don't know, like, um, but, but yeah, the movie. I, I love Wilford Brimley's performance as uh, Blair. It's such a great <laughs> performance. Like his, his initial freak out yeah. and his distrust of everyone and then, like, when he's calmly in the shed and he just has, like, a noose just, like, right next to him. Yeah, her. that scene was so weird. Yeah. Just, like, how and how earnestly he was pleading with yeah. them. But, like, there's a fucking noose in the background. Right. Just, like... And then it turns out that he is a thing. Yeah. And you're like, when did that happen? <gasps> you know? Yeah. It's like, you can't trust anyone. No. No, um, no. Now, one other thing that this movie really has that I enjoy is this element of cosmic horror. Uh, it, it plays a lot to like uh, you know that H.P. Lovecraftian idea of uh, a horror that's like comes from beyond the world, like remember like interdimensional horror kind of thing. Yeah, well, and and the creature design itself, like I like I mentioned, it's like it's it's very chaotic, mm-hmm. and 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 when it strikes, it's like you don't like you don't know where its mouth is. Like right. it's just it's so it's all it, it just is so. Yeah, it's just so on another level that, like, you can't, like, you know, the only way you can kill it is to light it on mm-hmm. fire. Like, there's no weak point that you can find, really. And, and everything and, uh, about the creature 
is the creature. Like Dunkiriti was saying, like it's all of it is part of it. So like the, yeah. even the blood is alive on its own. It kind of makes you think like, you know, what is this organism? Is the thing an actual thing or is it something that's like on a cellular level that can infect you like a virus? Kind well, of? yeah, that's the thing. Because I mean, it, it like... It, I guess there's like a bigger question about like how it reproduces because also like by the time we get to the end of the film, it's become this larger thing. Mm -hmm. And so it, and uh, so, so you kind of have the fact that like when, if, if a bit of it is cut off from the rest of it, then like those are two separate entities. Um, so kind of like, kind of like asexual budding Mm -hmm. reproduction. Um, uh, I'm, I'm not sure if I'm getting the terminology right. You know, biology. <laughs> yes. Like ninth grade, like literally just <laughs> Any biologists who are listening, never, let us know any how biologists. it works. <laughs> all, every, every, sci- every discipline of science, yeah. please weigh Correct in. Correct us. Help us. GSV pod help on us. Twitter. We don't know what we're doing. Um, so, yeah, like... Um, yeah, it was interesting how, like, but yeah, by, by the end of it, it, it really had become this big monstrous thing and mm. that like you can see like you know it's got like one person up here right. and the different and, and the dog people. so yeah. like so so yeah that that is interesting that like it's clear that like if it had the opportunity to eat more people instead of just kind of one by one mm-hmm. consuming somebody and taking their form um yeah who who knows what it would have been i I guess i i almost i almost speculate that maybe it's it's not necessarily that it would reproduce and become separate entities but more that what it wants to do is it might just want to become this big hive mind blob a big blob of some sort yeah Um, which is pretty horrific yeah (laughs) yeah Uh, pretty fucked up and three years later the entire world was one massive skin sounds about right (laughs) now this movie has become part of the culture of Antarctica, surprisingly. It is a long-standing tradition in all British Antarctic research stations to watch the thing as part of their midwinter midwinter feast yeah. and celebration that's held every June 21st. Nice. That's cool. <laughs> now, I'm, I'm just going to put this out there. If I was working in Antarctica in the middle of winter, I don't know if I would be comfortable watching this movie. <laughs> Uh, well, I think I'm, I'm sure that for the various scientists who are working out there, there's probably enough suspension of disbelief. Right. That, um, they're like, yeah, no, this is just, this is hilarious. This is hilarious. These people don't know what they're doing. Um, You're probably but, right. But, uh, yeah. But still like that. But I idea. like that. I yeah. really like mm-hmm. that. Uh, the movie was shot in Alaska, British Columbia, and on interior sets. Uh, and it, the sets were refrigerated to produce uh, the cold breath and make it seem like it was really cold. It was really like 100 degrees Fahrenheit outside. But really? inside the sets, it oh was like, God. they kept it like, I think like around 40 degrees. Well, I was wondering about that because like, again, in, in some of the early shots, like, because cause I knew that like the, the title card after after the title of the film um, says like winter 1982. So I was kind of surprised that people were as willing to go outside in the beginning of the film as they were because like even in some summer antarctica is still like just ridiculously yeah, cold, cold I, right. as far as i am aware mm-hmm. um and 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 obviously as the film develops since they they do then get caught in a storm it it definitely becomes much more hostile mm-hmm. so that that read as a little more realistic to me mm-hmm. with my you know zero <laughs> minutes of experience right, right. 
doing research. In I Antarctica. think like the, the, the cold is one of those aspects that to me is very frightening about the movie. The whole idea that once the heat is exhausted, once the fire goes out, you're going to freeze to death. The whole idea of freezing to death just seems like a very slow, painful process to me. Yeah. And that, and that idea just completely terrifies me. Yeah. One also just like the complete isolation. Yeah. Like, it, like, like just as isolated as you can possibly right. be. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's, it makes it, it and, and that adds to the paranoia. Yeah. Um, yeah. It really does. This is the first of John Carpenter's films that he did not score himself. Yeah, yeah, Ennio... Ennio Morricone scored it, which is surprising because it's a very low-key Carpenter-like score. Yeah, with that low low synthy tone in the beginning. The um, film's original choice of composer was Jerry Goldsmith, but uh, Ennio came in and did the score. Yeah. Um, It's it's a really great score, um, especially like... Fantastic score. Yeah, I really liked the music that sort of comes up when they first get that look at the big block of ice in Mm -hmm. the Norwegian camp. Right. Um, Yeah, just like something about it that's very... Like like classically eerie, it cosmic. It, yeah, it, it it harkens back to like older eras of film, but like does so in a way that's very, uh, yeah, very poignant um, for for what they're trying to convey as they realize that some fucked up shit went down. Now, some of the material that was not used for the movie that Ennio scored, he actually went on to use in The Hateful Eight, his score for The Hateful Eight. Oh, that's cool. So the the main theme from The Hateful Eight is, is unused material from his score from The Thing. Wild. Uh, now, Ennio Morricone's score for this film was nominated for a Razzie Award for Worst Score. However, like the film, it has since gone on to become considered a classic, and in fact, his score for The Hateful Eight was nominated for an Oscar. <laughs> Crazy. What, 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 like what? What the hell were people smoking back then? Like Jesus, they loved ET and they hated the My thing. God, like seriously, like that's really yeah. It that's boggles so the weird. Mind. Like I don't the, how could the how could that score? What? Yeah. What? I don't know if they had it out for John Carpenter or what, but the dude like just kept taking a beating. Like My they hated God. these movies. They My hated them. God. That that just is unbelievable to me. All oh right. My God. Let's go to the first of our GSV segments, which is called Shot, 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 We've already talked about a little bit about the violence of this movie. Um, but I want to talk uh, uh, more specifically about the creature effects, which we talked a little bit. Now, Rob Botton, he's the, the, the creature designer. Yeah. He designed the movie. He was only 22 at the time when he designed okay. this movie. Um, and he kind of like induced himself into like a state of like paranoia exhaustion because he basically lived at a studio just like designing and like building all these creatures and he had to take medical leave because he was so exhausted from the process of it. And in steps in one of his assistants who is a young man named Stan Winston. Okay. Who went on to be a legend in uh, animatronic and uh, creature work himself. He, of course, was better known for working on the Terminator movies and for working on Jurassic Park. Uh, He's created a whole bunch of, like, memorable um, creatures. Uh, So... uh, we talked a little bit about the, the the quality of the design, but what about like the specifics of it themselves? Was there a moment that, of the creature that you think that worked better, or others that didn't? Like, what were your favorite creature moments? 
Um, I think like uh, I I I think like yeah. The, so so when you get like the moment with the, in the dog cage where like it sort of first opens its mm-hmm. mouth up, um, that was just like a really striking moment. Just um. I think I think that that was actually just like a great reveal. Um, at the time, I d- wasn't sure how I felt about it because I was like, "Oh God, we're really just showing everything now." Right. Um, but at the same time, I it, it, like I said, like just the fact that it was a very a very loud reveal and sort of like very chaotic and the way sort of all these tendrils like sort of shoot out and like it was actually shot like pretty frantically in a way that like it kind of made it hard to understand what was going on mm-hmm. it was like ooh, is that is that is it getting another dog now uh, like uh, is that the original dog that it was inside of like uh, it's it's a it's really chaotic and the thing is like there at first i thought it was sloppy like in the moment as i was watching it but like right. but like the movie is actually just like so deliberately shot throughout and actually is very good at like you know, keeping the information that it's, you know, putting in front of you straight that like in retrospect, I'm like, oh, wait, no, it's just that it's it's a very it's a very chaotic, frantic creature. And 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 so those shots really do convey that really well. Um, I I did like the (laughs) the head spider moment. The head spider. That was that's probably the 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 most iconic moment for the thing. Yeah. And I feel like I've seen that somewhere before. Like I must have seen like a YouTube clip of it or something. Because yeah, that moment was pretty familiar. And um, when it shoots out the like the the legs, yeah, like yeah, when it shoots out the legs and the little eyes uh-huh. and then crawls away, and I was like, ugh, just not. And the, Palmer's ugh. line in that is so great. He's like, "What the fuck is that shit?" Yeah, <laughs> or I think he says, "You gotta be fucking kidding." No, that's me. what he says. Yeah, yeah, says, yeah. You gotta be fucking kidding yeah. me. <laughs> uh, we were all feeling it in that moment. Right. Um, I was really frustrated. I was so glad he saw it because I was not gonna be happy if it got away. Yeah. In that moment, because I was like, "Don't no, let it get away." Not now. Now, not now. You're so close. Um, um, yeah, that I think that that the spider is probably my favorite of the the thing moments. It's interesting to me that although there's a common thread for like the, the 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 design of the thing, I like that every time it reveals itself, it's different enough. Yeah, that's a thing. Like, like it, when the chest opens up and like eats the dog's hands off. Yeah, yeah, every single time. And 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 I think that's that's actually really great about that's that's something that I really like about the movie that there there's no actual like you can't just show somebody a picture of a thing and be like, yeah, that's the thing. Cause like it really just, that, that does actually add to the horror of it that like you can't, you there's there, it doesn't actually really have a, a definitive finite form that like it really is just adaptive and is always going to be assuming some other sort of form mm-hmm. in order to make its next meal. Let's go into the next segment. The next segment is called Boob Tube. But since there are no real female characters or sex in the movie, I want to just like mesh it together with the following segment, which is well, that's, that's problematic. problematic. Yeah, good drive by. <laughs> good drive by. We can um, talk about uh, the lack of female presence in this movie. Did 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 that bother you? The lack of female presence. Um. I mean, I 
I don't know. I, I, I mean, I'm, I'm sure there were probably, you know, female scientists back then uh, right. doing this kind of work. Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, I think, yeah, it's definitely, definitely a bit of a sausage fest of a film, mm-hmm. to be sure. Um, I think, uh, it, 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 there's definitely, like, a lot of sort of masculine, pro- uh, posturing throughout right. the film yeah. like as the as the paranoia builds right um i think that's definitely a big part of the dynamic between them and i certainly think that that works um i think like you know yeah i think i think having having a few female characters in the mix probably would have would have helped with like just kind of adding a little more texture to like how the paranoia manifests among the crew mm-hmm. and uh, That's a good point. because because of because i mean yeah there a lot of it does kind of boil down to like who's in charge and who am i taking orders from and stuff like that and uh yeah so so i think that does kind of like limit it a little the bit. only female character or presence i should say in the movie is the chess computer voice at the beginning yeah um, and, yeah, and it's, and it, you know that's kind of like a bit of foreshadowing there. I feel like because by the end, like they kind of ha- and it ends in a, in a f- like a, kind of a stalemate of sorts. Yeah, like you know they're damned if they do, don't damned if they do. They really don't know you know mm-hmm. how, how, to, how to deal with it. Yeah, so they just like allow themselves to die. You know, yeah. um, now or do they? Or do they? Yeah. Right, it's left open ended. Now the original version of the thing, the thing from another world, Howard Hawks, the thing, uh, has female characters in it. The 2011 remake of this movie also has a female main character. Um, and originally the cat, one of the cast members was female, Yeah. but the actress who was going to play her, uh, became pregnant and was forced to leave the production. And so she was replaced by a male actor now, Do we know which which character mm, it was? That doesn't say which one it is, but there were no female characters in the original script of this movie. Yeah, that was a decision that was made in pre production, and then when she dropped out, they were, they were like, "Oh well, let's you know go back to just having an all male cast." Hmm. Um, the script excused the female characters because the scriptwriter Lancaster he believed that a female character would be a love interest who inevitably gets in the way of the story uh, now like no like come on i think like, okay i i'm glad that i have an oppor- that you said that because now i have an opportunity to talk about that like obviously yes this film is very influential but mm-hmm. a film that i actually saw a lot of similarities between this is a film that precedes it in terms of release, which is uh, Ridley Scott's Alien. Right, by, by a couple of years, yeah. Um, and uh, like four years. And 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 that film definitely had a more diverse cast yeah. um, with you know multiple female characters right. on the ship, and and there was no bullshit romantic side plot there to wasn't. distract the audience. So I officially say fuck that noise. There is sexual that, tension in premise. it, but it doesn't get in the way of the story. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. That that is fair but um uh but but i think like yeah no I mean, yeah no i think that's that's a pretty that's a pretty bullshit premise um um now in the original one the thing there the female character does act as a love interest so i think that he was reacting more 
towards that, that like he didn't, adaptation. He didn't, he didn't want to have the his adaptation of it have a romantic interest in the way that Howard Hawks the thing had. Yeah. So I don't think I don't I'm not from what I understand it wasn't like him saying oh, oh I can't have women in here period because they will be romantic but just because he wanted it to be different from the thing. I mean yeah maybe but I don't know. I think I think I think that shows a, a bit of a limit in imagination that they that they couldn't find a way to to write, you know, at le- you know, at least at least a f- one or a few credible female characters. There is a one very interesting result of having an all male cast. Yeah. And I want to get your thoughts on it. Okay. Um because one of the other interpretations of this movie um, which John Carpenter has acknowledged, like maybe he hasn't acknowledged that that it was his intention, but from the other side, he's acknowledged how people can see this uh, being, you know, an interpretation is because this movie was released in 1982. And a lot of people feel like this is also a metaphor on top of it being for the Cold War. It's also a, a metaphor for the AIDS epidemic and and oh. how, uh, you know, you, you just don't know who has HIV at the time, you know, it was oh, wow. very, it, it, it was a, a hidden illness that you didn't know who had it and where you could catch it from. Yeah. And so having an all male cast um, kind of hammers that interpretation home that there, this is about a bunch of guys um, who are together and it's about the fear of not being identified as a man or being identified as a homosexual. And then I, by that token, um, you know, getting a disease from that lifestyle. That's the, the interpretation again. Not not my words, that's the interpretation. Yeah. Now, the several uh, assimilations that when when people talk about this interpretation, they notice that several of the assimilations involve penetration. Yeah. There are tentacles in Norris's case, he's opened up from the stomach to birth his own replica. Um, now, most of the time slasher films, including Carpenter's own Halloween, which he started the modern, you know, slasher film or or perfected it, you might say. Yeah. Um they they have they favor that genre favors female stars because they're perceived to be weaker and therefore more empathetic and they provide a cathartic release when they defeat the villain, but in the but in the thing, the men are not meant to survive. So it's a uh, uh, Vice's um, Patrick Mar- Marlborough critic says that he considers the thing to be a critical take on masculinity. Identifying the thing requires intimacy, confession, and empathy to out the creature, but masculinity prevents this as an option. Uh, trapped by pride and stunted emotional growth, the men are unable to confront the truth out of fear of embarrassment or exposure. One of the things that he notes is McReady avoids emotional attachments and is the most paranoid, allowing him to be the hero. This detachment works against him in the finale, which leaves McReady locked in a futile mistrust with Childs, each not really knowing about the other. All right, so what do you? What's your take about the, it? Uh, so, so uh, the the reading on um, the. Uh, the, the parallels with the AIDS epidemic are interesting. Um, I think uh, it, 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 it could be a little troubling to, to think of, of the idea of, of that sort of lifestyle as right. being this insidious, dangerous thing. Right. Um, and, and also because I don't necessarily think that for the, 
for the gay community, like going through that epidemic necessarily fostered that kind of paranoid distrust. Mm -hmm. I think there was much more distrust in the government for its failure to actually address the crisis. Um, Absolutely. And 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 I feel like that's very, a very problematic interpretation. Yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah, I would definitely, yeah, I I would agree that that's a problem. It's, it's an interesting interpretation. Mm -hmm. um, But, but yeah, I would, I, 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 uh, I, I certainly didn't necessarily see that. Um, yeah, I, I would agree that it's it's a problematic reading. Um, the idea of uh, it being a uh, the idea of uh, masculinity and of um, yeah that 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 quote from the Vice reporter um, uh-huh. is 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 really interesting read and and certainly I think um, yeah it makes a lot of sense. Um, I, I guess I still think that like even if the film was a meditation on masculinity. Mm-hmm. Um, Having having a female presence would would still actually enrich that yeah. even further, especially with um, the idea of like if if the station is so dominated by men, um, what does that then mean for women who you know typically in male dominated fields have to kind of play to those kinds of standards right. and and sort of looking at the idea of what does it mean to to be able to express empathy and vulnerability right. within that kind of a situation, especially one that is so distrustful as well. So, so, um, so yeah, I think, I think that, uh, yeah, the film, yeah, I think I, I like that read on the idea of masculinity and vulnerability and mistrust. Um, and, uh, and yeah, I, 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 I think, I do think a female presence would ac- absolutely still enrich that. Uh, one of the movies I think that I've recently that, that kind of makes me think of, uh, like of having a p- p- parallel to this is uh, the lighthouse actually, oh. um, which has a lot of the same themes. If you think of it, like the, uh, the take the masculinity angle yeah. and a lot of like the, you know, the distrust, the paranoia, the inability to express emotion or empathy or, or when you do like, you know, what's at stake for yourself as a man and what does that mean? Yeah. Um, and so, and that movie also uh, doesn't have any, female presence any except for like the the mermaid this it's uh in the surreal like dream sequence uh, yeah i mean um, i haven't seen the lighthouse yet so um i i couldn't i i, I wouldn't be able to necessarily comment uh in too much depth about right about but but i feel like the you know it, it is an interesting take on it and i feel like i i can kind of understand you know if you're if you're doing a whole meditation on the the fragile nature of masculinity yeah and it's a really interesting uh comparison to make with traditional slasher films like they were saying where the the women who are seen as vulnerable provide a catharsis for the audience when they beat the villain. But in this movie, which is full of testosterone, because yeah. all of these guys are flexing in like one way or another. Yeah. And yet like they're all completely vulnerable and unable to defeat the danger. And the only way that they can even mask who is who is by becoming vulnerable. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that that is interesting. I mean, the... That, that's an interesting take on the idea of the slasher film because while certainly some slasher films do have a moment of catharsis for the more empathetic female characters defeating the monster of the film, uh, by the same token, those films also, I think, kind of, you know, make their make their bread and butter in terms of, like, the brutalization of women. And, the, and mm. I think there is a very specific... There is a very specific um, 
sort of uh, enthrallment that they're banking on the audience having with like female characters having these grisly deaths. And again, we've talked a bit about like, you know, the idea of horror films uh, as, you know, an allegory for enforcing certain moral standards. Social commentary. Yeah. yeah, Social commentary. The idea of like, you know, that uh, sexually promiscuous characters tend to meet their death first. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, You know, obviously a a great deconstruction of that is uh, Cabin in the Woods. Right. um, Which, which, which very directly deconstructs that, that structure. Mm -hmm. Um, But that's uh, addressed in Scream as well. Scream is all about like, you know, subverting all those horror tropes. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, uh, so yeah, I, th- I think uh, you can either take it or leave it. Um, uh, as as far as uh, yeah, um, I, I do think uh, yeah, it is interesting because I I think uh, the hearing about one of the negative reviews that talked about the poorly defined characters right. that they were and and I think in the beginning maybe that was the case but also by the same token I do think that um as the film develops um the characters do actually really all have very distinct personalities really and 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 those personalities actually come out much more as as the sort of descent into madness right. for all of them develops. You get to see too, their true so. natures. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, so yeah, that, that is definitely interesting. Yeah. I, I don't know how much empathy I necessarily had. Um, certainly, I think, yeah, paranoia, though. Paranoia mm-hmm. and distrust and being on the edge of my seat for the entire thing, mm-hmm. to be sure. Yeah, it's really interesting, um, those conversations and, um, you know, we can go, I think, like much deeper into it, but um, yeah, there's, there's, a, that's the thing. There's, there's a lot that you can unpack with this one. But we're coming like near to the wrapping up of our uh, conversation now. Yeah. I just have like one final, really big question to ask of you and see what where, where you stand on this. All right. Um, so by the end of the movie, we have two men standing. We have Childs and Mac. Yeah. Now, in your opinion, do you think that one of them, both of them? Or neither of them is the thing at the end of the movie. Oh, man, um, yeah. I mean, it's 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 one of those things. Like, like I think that th- that that ending is a perfect ending. Right, for it this is. Movie. It's one of the greatest ending, and yeah. and another downer ending from Car. We talked when they when we talked yeah. about they live. How much he loves downer endings. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and 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 I think for this movie that is a perfect downer ending. And like I almost I I I am I am loath to even give a specific <laughs> answer because of how perfect having that uh, of 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 how perfect that ending is and 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 just leaving it at there's no fucking way we can really know right um i i think so so i think in service in service of that ending's perfection i would almost say probably neither neither are the thing i would say neither but i think that like that doesn't mean that they're any less doomed they're they're right. they're they're still doomed to that death, and they're doomed to die in that in that awful horrendous state of yeah. distrust. Right. Um. And just you know, they're they're just gonna keep passing that, you know that that bottle of whiskey. J and B, baby. Yeah, J and B. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, that's the other thing too. Like that, that pretty much almost everybody on that station, I think, was like fucked up on some shit. Whether they were yeah, smoking McCready weed was or, drinking like a yeah, fish. McCre- yeah, yeah, <laughs> McCready definitely drinks like a fish. Um, and, and, and one and, of the and things every- that fuels distrust and paranoia is yeah. ingesting, you know, 
yeah, psychedelic substances. Yeah, so. so. Um, I kind I agree with you. Here's my thought of it. Yeah, because I do. I do feel like the, you don't. The movie doesn't need an answer. Yeah, agreed. Um, yeah. And and that's kind of like the perfection of it is the open ended quality. It almost feels more hopeless because you don't know for sure. Yeah, but but you made me commit to an answer, so I'm gonna make you commit to an answer now, as well. My answer is a little more nuanced and complicated. Here's here's what I, okay. I think that either they both are, or neither are. Okay. I can't see a, a scenario where one of them is and one of them is not because McCready has that line early on. Uh, when he's talking about, he says, I know I'm a human, and I think that if all of you were the things, you would all attack me, so that uh, makes me think that some of you are human, too. So if it's just like you and some, and another person who is the thing, you know, there's nothing really stopping you from attacking this other person. Now, there is this fan theory. I want to get your thoughts on this. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and actually, I, I guess the, there's there's a there's a... There's a bigger question, I guess, about uh-huh. what infection actually means. Right. Because, because that was actually one of the things that was going through my mind during the movie as well, that um, that certainly, like, like, like if, if someone is the thing, they're behaving like they're not the thing, and they're doing so... But the question is, like, is it because they are actually not aware that they are the thing? Or is it that the thing just when it ingests someone is able to copy enough information that it can perfectly mask its behaviors until it has a good moment? Mm-hmm. Cause, cause it, because the suggestion definitely seems to be that, like, you know, that that if someone's infected, it's going to try to... Like, like that the thing the thing seems to be taking proactive steps right. like as evidenced by the blood bags being destroyed yeah. so so that means that it tries to protect some, itself yeah it's it, it take it takes pro like beyond just like oh now's my moment to eat somebody right. like it, it it also takes proactive steps to to deceive and to try to mislead but is that actually consciously happening? Is the person just completely gone? Or like, so yeah, that's the thing. Like, mm-hmm. uh, anyway, so so there is that question. Um, but you have a fan theory. There is a fan theory suggesting that the bottle McCready has at the end is leftover Molotov cocktail, and therefore when he offers Childs a drink, and Childs drinks it and doesn't notice it's gasoline. McCready laughs because he figures out that Childs is an alien. I personally don't buy that theory, but it's an interesting theory. I was wondering because McCready does have a bit of a knowing laugh in that mm-hmm. scene, and so part of me wondered if there was going to be a last-minute sort of cool badass right. gambit of some sort that he was about to pull. But that would have um, cheapened it, I think. But yeah, I agree. Like, yeah, if if they went for that. That would have been a little thing. And so I, I kind of like that it ends with that knowing laugh because it's just so, like, we don't know. I think that if they were both infected, though, or if they were both the thing, like, I don't... That again, that does come back to that question of like, what does, like, how how aware of itself is the thing? And I guess if... if because they established that it's not that a person is infected, it is that the thing eats them and replicates right. them. Yeah. So I don't so I don't necessarily see a situation where both of them are the thing because I think they would both 
be able to know because again it is this kind of it is this kind of weird sort of celled or whatever mm-hmm. celled organism that that you know replicates itself when it gets to, I I feel I feel like it would know itself right so um, so you think you don't think it would distrust each other if it knew that it was a thing. Yeah, I, I think I think if they were both the thing, then they would just be they like, would know that it was a thing. Okay, time to find a way out of here and infect the planet. Now, like, cons- considering what the the ordeal that they've gone through um, and understanding, you know, what's at stake, the the responsible thing I think I feel for a human in that situation or two human beings in that situation would be to kill themselves or each other. Yeah. Instead, they decide that they're going to freeze to death, and that's why I think it's either a both or nothing thing. That's because fair. because if it's both, they decide to freeze um, until a rescue team comes and infects, and then they infect the team. If it's neither, they don't want to kill themselves for fear that the one who is a thing doesn't go through with it and then survives to infect humanity. And this is, of course, I think it's foreshadowed by the chess game at the beginning. Um, they they reach a stalemate, which means that it doesn't matter what they do because either way, they're dead. Yeah, definitely. So I know that's like a non-committal answer, but that's my that's my take. Yeah, they either both are or they both not. I hear that. I hear that. <laughs> All right, so we're coming to the end of the conversation. Final thoughts, Ned. The thing was it a bad movie? So-so movie? Good movie? Great movie? What are your thoughts? I thought it was great. I yeah, I think there there's a lot of there's a lot of weird schlocky touches to it mm-hmm. to be sure. I think a lot of as, gore. you know a, a product of its era and a product of you know Mr. Carpenter's particular style as well. Yeah. Um, but that said, um, man did man did it man did it do a lot with its premise. Um, yeah. I think uh, yeah a lot of really great tension throughout. Like that's a thing. I think a good horror movie is a tense horror mm-hmm. movie that keeps you on the edge of your seat. I agree. Um, not necessarily overwhelming you with gore but rather just like dreading the inevitable violence that is to mm-hmm. come and this movie I think does a really good job of fostering a particularly paranoid uh, environment um, and uh yeah, I think the, the fact that I sort of knew what I was getting into and yet was still very much kept in suspense throughout speaks to just how meticulously crafted it was. Mm-hmm. And, it really does. Um, yeah, I thought it was great. Um, I agree. I think it's a great movie. I think that this is another of Mr. Carpenter's B-movie masterpieces. Uh, as we talked about last time with They Live, he he's the greatest B-movie filmmaker of all time, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. I adore John Carpenter. This is one of his best movies. Uh, and every time I see it, I find something else to love about it. it. It never fails to entertain me. I watched this yesterday in research for today, and I was just as excited to watch it again today as it was yesterday. And when I finished, I was like on that, you know, watching a good movie high, you know, that yeah. good movies leave you. It's a fantastic movie. Yeah. Um, and we, honestly, we could do this every week. We could pick until we run out of his filmography. <laughs> we could pick a John Carpenter movie every week and dissect it for you guys. But I promise we will not do another John Carpenter next time. <laughs> um, Ned, thank you so much for watching The Thing with me and talking about it. My genuine pleasure. 
Um, thank you guys out there for listening to us talk about the thing. We hope you join us next time when we will pick a movie that's not directed by John Carpenter, something else, something fun. Until then, um, you know, don't trust anyone, but please go watch some movies. I hope we're going to have some gratuitous sex and violence. You guys always bring me the very best violence. No relationship. No emotion. Just sex. Just you guys always bring me the very best part.